Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach, with me from New Zealand for the second, third time. I don't know, Vin Eastwood. How you doing, buddy? Well, you know, I'm somewhat fabulous. Other than that, like crap. <laughs> I saw some Facebook posts. What what show do you do? Do you do a show? The Vinny Eastwood Show. And it goes like this. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, slaves of the global plantation. The Vinnie Eastwood Show is bad news. It's like the news, but worse. It's the lighter side of genocide. Just because we're being exterminated doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Otherwise, what's the point of being killed? The Vinnie Eastwood Show, where the only thing worse than living in a high-tech global police state run by child-trafficking Satanists is Vinnie's jokes. <laughs> We're simulcasting now. We're simulcasting. You know, I tried to get my friend uh, Kevin Passman on. Um, he lives in Auckland, New Zealand. I met him in New Orleans, Louisiana a long time ago. And um, once he showed me all of his uh, all these family photos, and he uh, there, there was a very interesting costumes uh, that his family was wearing. They were, um, you know, all had like little mustaches like this by the fire doing something like this. And I thought that would be fun to talk about. Uh, but, uh, you know, I uh, Skyped with him a week ago. I, I don't know if I have the Mandela effect or I went through a time vortex, but I literally thought that we were recording this uh, a, one week ago. So I don't know. I don't know. I, for me, the Mandela effect is like, uh, you know, just spending a significant amount of time in prison, just eating, eating bread and water, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. and, and, and how that affects you. The, the, because it's it's like that when you're in the uh, in the truth movement, isn't it? Is, is that essentially you just sort of have to get by on what you can. You can't really do do anything really too extravagant or lavish and and whatnot. But uh, you try to maintain uh, what's called in the street homeostasis. You know, just a little bit of just a little bit of health. Uh, uh, to yourself, health for your mind, health through your spirit, health through your body, if you can help it. Um, and uh, that way you can continue doing this work. Um, and when you do it for a significant period of time, you know what works for you and, and you know what doesn't. Um, but it, when you first start it, man, you burn yourself out time and time again uh, because you think that uh, you, you can solve the world's problems and, and stuff like that. You know, you have that obligation, you know, that thirst. Um, but yeah, man, it's a uh, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I've been doing this uh, 15 years and a lot of people come and a lot of people go um, because their expectations of like what they want to achieve is like right up here, bro. And no, 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 no. It's not about what can be achieved overall. It's what you can achieve by yourself in your own time and with your own focus and with whatever is available to you. Yeah, and uh, I've known you nine years on the internet. I think I met you on the internet when I lived in New York City. Then I've lived in LA. I've lived in New Orleans. Now I'm in Austin, Texas. I moved here a year ago. You know, I uh, moved in uh, February 2021. And then the Super Bowl, I think it was February 7, I knocked myself out on a deck. And then this past Super Bowl, February 12, I got locked up in jail for the night. You know, so I'm not good at Super Bowls. My sister's like, just stay home Super Bowl. I was home Super Bowl. But uh, anyway, I want to get into that. I got court. I put for all my calendar dates, like of my stand up, I put court just like, that's just a date. That's just a gig I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. So April 7, if you're in Austin, Texas at 8.30, uh, just meet me on the fourth floor at District 6. I'm say hi. You know. It reminds me of an uh, old joke. Uh, what was it? Uh, your mom was so dumb, she took a spoon to the Super Bowl. That's kind of funny. Um, so I don't want to get into your personal life in Eastwood, but you made something public that kind of, you know, made me sad because I, I love love, you know. By the way, before I get into your story, let me talk about myself real quick and then we'll transition. You know, I, I took a girl, just a friend of mine, to a lovely place called Barton Springs. I'm trying to be a gentleman, a modern gentleman, you know. I'm not trying to be weird, just a friend of mine. But then all these uh, girls at Barton Springs in Austin start taking their tops off. Like one did it. And then a girl's like, well, if she's got her tits out, I've got Tegbada. And then all of a sudden, it was like two dozen tits were out. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was losing my mind, you know. But as a modern gentleman, I just like, oh, I'm just, I didn't even notice. I'm just swimming, you know, because I'm trying to, you know what I mean? You all always have to play love games. Like, I, I don't even, I don't see that. I don't see those nice boobs. I don't know. I'm playing love games. Benice, what, you're, you're playing some love games. I don't know. I saw a Facebook post that you did. You were making, you know, how public are you with? with your personal life uh generally not very uh public at all and what's in the uh the facebook post is mostly what needs to uh, uh be disclosed i mean it's just you know sometimes uh, relationships work out and you can and you can work through your issues and things of that nature but if you can't uh you, you sort of damage any children that you uh that you try to raise together and you know that's a, that's a hard one lesson for a, a lot of people and uh i know uh my daughter to kind of uh go through that uh, sort of thing and there's there's a number of reasons uh why i've uh, uh split with sarah but i think my my daughter basically uh not having a uh, a good uh mother and father relationship and uh, as an example growing up uh was probably one of the uh, the main motivators uh, for me yeah because it's there needs to be love in the house and if there's awkwardness in the house then that's what you're manifesting so anyway i don't want to get personal uh, but uh you know good god bless you bro um this isn't you know it's not easy to you know try to be a full-time uh thorn in the side of the establishment um i saw that you know you've had some things banned you know i thought your website went down but no the vinnieeastwoodshow.com it works great they haven't taken you off there uh you you last time we talked just a few months ago or november you had all these court dates coming up because you were uh, a protest in the mandates has those have those court dates come through um well they came and they went and i still haven't actually been able to enter the dock and enter a plea yet uh so you just keep showing up for disco discovery type of thing no, no, that's 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 all been done. Uh, but because of the uh, the lockdowns uh, uh, that have particularly affected Auckland for a number of years, uh, the court system's so backed up uh, that when you get uh, court cases and and uh, things like that, not much can happen into them, and then you've got to reschedule to another one, and which not much happens, and then you've got to reschedule another one. It's like uh, one of my pet peeves to have a meeting about having a meeting, and then making a meeting about having a meeting about that meeting. You know, and and uh, just a just a, a whirly bird uh, uh, around. I mean, I'm sure the uh, uh, although the frustration of the uh, the situation, I'm sure a lot of people are benefiting from the uh, the significant delay, and and uh, perhaps even me uh, uh, benefiting from uh, this delay uh, uh, because the longer 
these lockdowns and so on and so forth uh, go on, and the more protests that people have against them, the more pales into comparison uh, what myself and, and Billy TK were arrested for. Two guys peacefully protesting uh, with freedom of expression uh, have 150 people uh, during lockdown and uh, they get arrested. Now we've got thousands of people that have uh, protested on Parliament and uh, a huge uh, fire and uh, riot police being called and things like that. How much do you think our case pales in comparison, you know, to the to the modern consciousness of the judge? Because at the day that we did what we did, um, that was like day one of level four lockdown. Oh, my God, it's a new variant. Everybody's going to die. These guys are evil people. They're putting the public at risk and, and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, it's uh, going to put it into a much uh, uh, less uppity, definite uh, anger uh, kind of uh, context uh, for any judge that comes across this case. Now, I'm, I'm very lucky to have the, um, uh, the support and friendship of uh, Vince Seema, who's been a uh, public court watchdog in New Zealand for as long as I've been doing what I've been doing, over 15 years. And uh, he was a, a good friend and confidant of uh, my uh, uh, friend, Penny Bright, who is a uh, famous activist here in New Zealand who stood up against everything, you know, whatever there was to stand up against that was scumbaggery, she was up against it, mate. Um, and so he's, uh, he's in my court and he's uh, helping me out. And uh, yes, it's, it feels uh, like some, some positive uh, developments, even though there haven't been any actual <sighs> developments. Did they give you like a maximum sentence is going to be X, Y, and Z? Like you could face up to seven years, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up, to, uh, up to six months for peacefully assembling, up to six months for organizing a protest, and up to three months for remaining silent in custody. Hmm. That's the New Zealand law now. Uh, three for the silence. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that was uh, passed uh, many years ago under the John Key era, uh, where they passed the search and surveillance bill, where it's illegal to not uh, self-incriminate in in the New Zealand uh, court system, and you can go to jail for three months for not giving up your right to silence. Um, and uh, the new ones are the COVID nineteen laws, uh, which means that all forms of peaceful assembly, protest, and freedom of speech are now criminal offences, and you can go to jail for up to six months. So I'm facing in total 14 months in prison. Yeah, the new laws, they're not always, they're not like, oh, by the way, this new law, you have all these new freedoms. You can peacefully assemble, you can have a picnic on Sundays. Like, they don't have new laws that are like, just, you can you can hug a baby and kiss a beautiful dog. It's more like, oh, we're going to take these freedoms away from you. You're, you know what I mean? It's never like, Oh, you know, free ice cream on Fridays. It's it's always like more bullshit. <laughs> uh, well, you know, they say a leopard doesn't change its spots, and uh, yeah. cheetahs never prosper. And ostensibly, what we're talking about is the uh, the death of prosperity, the death of freedom, the death of freedom of thought, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of assembly, uh, freedom of movement. Uh, ostensibly, uh, any form of freedom that existed once in New Zealand is now a privilege and uh, you don't really have any rights. Uh, and uh, for all intents and purposes, we, we never did have any rights because we're a parliamentary sovereign dictatorship and uh, what that means is the base principle of parliament is that you can't bind any future governments with your legislation all right if a previous government says you've got rights 
and next government can just say, no, you don't. Can they pass those laws at four o'clock in the morning when there's nobody there? Yes, they can. Is it subject to a recount or anything? No. You just do it immediately. Now, New Zealand, uh, this might be a shock to some people, but uh, New Zealand is uh, usually first equal on transparency internationals, least corrupt countries list or corrected the corruption perception index. The key word there is perception. Now, this is how it works. All the corrupt, all the dirty, all the scumbaggery entities and individuals within this country are on the board of New Zealand's official Transparency International membership list, which means that when Transparency International send out their questionnaire, which is voluntary, okay, by the way, it works like this in New Zealand, Transparency Internationals to New Zealand, say, bro, you guys uh, got any corruption down there in New Zealand? And uh, Transparency International in New Zealand, uh, full of all the most corrupt people in the country, go, why no? We don't. What corruption? And, what and corruption? Send, what do you mean? And, send, and they send the form back blank. All right. Mm -hmm. And then, hey, presto, almost every year, New Zealand is on the top of the list of the perceived least corrupt countries in the world that is how this country works it is how it has worked for a long time you've seen dukes of hazard you've heard of boss hog an individual who's very corrupt and very well connected who the little heroes are always trying to go out and and subvert and, and stop their little schemes welcome to new zealand okay it's dukes of hazard county down down here man it is open season on anybody who wants freedom well, Boss Hogg never heard about no corruption, have you, Boss? <laughs> no, I haven't heard that. You heard any corruption, Stinky Rufus? Never heard of no corruption. <laughs> all right, well, that's all settled then. Get out of here. Get out of town. I've moved around a lot. I noticed that, uh, you know, in the East Coast, it's more like, it is more socialist. Uh, I think that comes from New York City. Like, everyone jams on the subway together. You kind of have to walk up subway stairs, and I've heard... You have to kind of coordinate with each other, be nice to each other. You know, like there's like you're packed in. So it kind of offers this forced socialism kind of men mentality. I noticed in Texas, man, nobody, and I mean fucking nobody uses their blinkers ever. It's like, I don't got to tell you where I'm going, you know, because they're rugged individualists. It's like, oh, you want me to tell my blinker for you or I'll shoot you dead if you get on my lawn. So there is like different laws here and uh the laws you know they don't like lawyers they don't like litigation everything's settled fisticuffs it is just a different vibe here like if you have a lawsuit for an accident it's complete different it's like the napoleonic code of uh well well i didn't say i don't know it's just i think it does trickle down for example you know if you're wife cheats on you and you walk in in your marital bed you can just shoot everybody dead here in texas it's called the crime of passion law. Passion. I just had too much passion, Your Honor. I shot everyone dead. The judge will be like, Goddamn right. Let's dig a shallow grave and bury that bitch. You know, it's just like a totally different uh, laws here. What am I getting at? I don't know. Uh, what you were talking about, about the tyranny, the local tyranny. Um, I had Chris Knowles on my podcast, and he said something on my podcast a long time ago. Anyway, he runs the Secret Sun blog. 
he might be a Nephilim, but um, he said something about the state cult, like the state religion is Freemasonic. Like, and it took a long time for that to digest to me. Like there is a state cult because I was always growing up. And one of the first things that red pilled me after 9-11, I, I got obsessed with Scientology. I saw every documentary about it. I saw, I read Going Clear. I read uh, every, that Rolling Stone article that first came out about it. I, I, I went into archives. I found every speech L. Ron Hubbard ever said. I was just so obsessed with it. And it got me thinking about it. Like there's all these abuses that are on the record. Why hasn't Scientology been banned in America? Why? It doesn't make sense. It's clearly an abusive cult and they've scammed all these people who are on the record. Yeah, but that's when I realized that Elrond was friends with Aleister Crowley, and he was sort of grandpappied into the uh, insider of the state cult. You know, he was in uh, naval intelligence. It's like you have, uh, so, you know, it's an ancient practice given to those with the right clearance. You see what I'm saying? It's like ancient. Well, it's kind of like this. Uh... Yeah. Religion is a form of mind control. Now, you can either get into a religion in order to control your own mind and use and use the teachings to do that and, and empower yourself, you know, that kind of thing. Or you can sit in there and, and think of it as a complete and utter doctrine to follow so that you don't have to think for yourself or act for yourself. And, and if, as long as you just say the words, everything will be all right with life. This is what they want people to do. And as soon as people try the other direction, they'll find soon enough that their parishioners don't like them very much because they're following God, not the religion, which is what you're ostensibly supposed to do. And that's why they uh, uh, get people into these traps. Now, government is a religion. Money is a religion. Being an American is a religion. All right. All these little beliefs and, and things like that, unless you believe that your infinite consciousness experiencing a holographic fractal reality that you're projecting out into it with the uh, uh, in co-creation with all the other consciousnesses around you and that you're contributing to all the infinite civilizations that live within and all the infinite civilizations that you reside inside, then basically your, your view of spirituality and how you're going to contribute to the uh, 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 this universe and its creation and its and its light and its luster and its beauty is going to be greatly reduced. You might do some good, but nowhere near as much as you could if you were free and you really lived in tune with what God consciousness actually is. God consciousness is about how can I contribute to the whole? How can I as an individual contribute to everything? Satanic consciousness is how can everything contribute for me? Um. Speaking of, and uh, speaking of Hollywood, we have these little archons of things like the state religion. You know, Hollywood is definitely controlled by the state cult because so much money goes into one of these movies to get the right propaganda out there for the state cult. Uh, so they hire people like Will Smith to really emote with his psychotic wife and his awful family. And I was uh, arguing with people on Facebook about this, but I, I was thinking about this. Why, you know, maybe the slap was staged when Chris Rock tells a joke and then Will Smith walks over and slaps him. But then I was thinking about this. What if Tom Cruise in 1991 was doing a, you know, we're going to announce something on Scientology, you know, and let's say L. Ron Hubbard was still alive and he was on amphetamines and walled it up to the front and slapped Tom Cruise right in the face. 
Would anyone stop him? No. What if there was a bishop doing some Catholic ceremony and the Pope walked up and he was, you know, leading little poops as he was walking up and then slapped the bishop? Would anyone stop him? No. Like, what if uh, Michael Aquino was walking up to the Temple of Set to put his finger in the butthole of Brian Singer? Would anyone stop him? No. You know why? That's his house. And I think that uh, Will Smith walks right up to Chris Rock and slaps him in the face. Why? Because he's somehow an entered apprentice into the state cult and some Hollywood elite. And I've been, that is not a man who is, uh, the problem with, with the state cult, the problem with going through too many MKUltra degrees is you become so out of touch, you become pathologically out of touch. So now the only thing that he's supposed to do is be a good actor to be an everyman of the people. That's the only thing he's, it's impossible for him to do this. I, I realized long ago, do I want to be a comedian with my own ideas or do I want to be successful? And sometimes I think there's a chasm there. Look at Stephen Colbert. He's shit. He's shit, but he's got all the money in the world, but he's awful. He's a 33rd degree Freemason. He's best friends with Podesta and all that stuff. Um, Will Smith wouldn't have slapped uh, Stephen Colbert in my estimation. Um, but uh, he would also just be, you know, kissing Will Smith's ass because they're all in the club together, the circle of freaks, you know. So yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking about that circle of freaks. Like if you look at uh, Seventh Day Adventists or uh, uh, Scientology, Jehovah's Witness, uh, many different uh, denominations of uh, various religions and uh, find out who started them. It turns out a lot of them uh, were started by Freemasons, 33-degree Freemasons, including Scientology, 33rd-degree Fre uh, Freemason L. Ron Hubbard, you know. Um, and so this is how you can uh, get that hidden hand uh, uh, controlling all these uh, different belief structures. And it works kind of like this. You have uh, experience, and one, your experience is like as a religious person, and then you find out that what it's telling you is BS. So then you go over the other side and you get into, say, Satanism or, or some kind of, kind of uh, uh, practice like that, New Agey, what, whatever. And then you find out that's BS. And then you go back to the Christianity. So back and forth, back and forth. No, no, no. You should have been on the straight and narrow the whole time, just going, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. This is true, this is true, this is true. And don't have like a, a, a favoritism uh, uh, kind of thing. You know, truth doesn't care what we think. You know, it, it, really, it really doesn't care how we feel. Yeah, and uh, like what you're saying reminds me of uh, I met Daniele Bolelli in L.A. at the time, and he's been on my podcast several times. He's a great guy. He wrote a book called Create Your Own Religion. And I really believe, like, for me, it's comedy. I think that when I tell a good joke and it cracks some kind of truth, cracks an audience up, we're all having a shared experience. And we're all like, yeah, we know that that's true. It's been proven scientifically in the court of public opinion in this dirty comedy club. And to have an elitist millionaire out of touch baby eater go up and slap a comedian imagine the, the ripples now everyone in in america is entitled to slap their comedian if that triggers their their out of touch wife you know if that triggers their out of touch kids who are all this they babble on they're changing their genders like like strobe lights you know that they, they babble on about nonsense state cult nonsense all the time I mean, like if my kid did an interview and he said any of the things that these dipshit Smith kids said, you know, I would lock him in the basement and, and go, you know, we got to reprogram this kid, you know, but there are so here's my problem with Montessori schools, Denise, what, you know, people talk a lot of shit on public schools. I went to public school. 
I like the clarity. A bell rings, you go to science. A bell rings, you go to math. A bell rings, you go here, uh, you work on English. I know that that's propaganda to have factory workers that, that are Pavlovianly conditioned to a bell, but what's the alternative? Oh, Montessori school, you can color or you can play with Play-Doh. It's whatever you want. What does the kid want? Does he want to do math or go outside with bugs and a stick? It's whatever you want, kid. How about the kid has structure and guidance? No, no. But you're going to stamp on him because now he's butterfly gender spin. He's really, he's really got to feel that. He's got to like let him feel his butterfly gender. Okay, well, what if a bridge fucking falls over? We're, we're all idiots. Everyone here is too dumb to fix the fucking bridge. What, you know... Uh, a building collapses. Do we have any architects? Uh, but I don't feel like fixing the bridge today. I don't feel, but that's not me. I'm on a vibe of doing whatever nonsense I want in the moment because I'm entitled retarded. That's all of the Will Smith's kids, okay? And him, someone makes fun of his wife and he's entitled to walk up on stage and slap somebody because, oh, whatever you want. Oh, sit there in your tuxedo, shut the fuck up. And, and take it like a man. I've done roast battles. It, what, what that Oscar slap really taught me is how fragile ego uh, elite actors are. Millionaire actors are the biggest pussy babies, the crybaby pussy, Will Smith. And roast battle comics, I've won, I've lost. You know what I did when I lost a roast battle to Brian McDaniel? I, I, went, I drove home from comedy store. I, I lost a roast battle. You know what I did? I cried in my car like a man. I cried in my car like a man. I took the fucking loss. I, I rolled the windows up and I started sobbing and go, you suck. Get, God, that was awful. You're an idiot. I, first of all, I battled Brian McDaniel. He's so handsome. You know, I had nothing bad to say about him. He's a nice guy too. I liked him backstage. I, I didn't have venom behind me. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, long story short, it, it is a travesty that Joe Urell and Robin Tran are, are, and uh, Connor McSpadden, all these roast battles, battlers aren't paid 10 times what Will Smith is paid. But we have this crybaby who's never wrote a script. All he does is read scripts and then sings like garbage songs on the fake Aladdin bullshit or whatever. I'm so sick of these people. It's like when you're just drinking blood out of goblets and that's the only thing that the Rothschilds will trust, you, you just lose touch with the goddamn commoners. You lose touch with the people. Oh, you're going to upload into the metaverse? You're all dummies up there. Go, go die. Go die in the metaverse. Leave, leave the real world to real people, you shits. Anyway, sorry, I'm a little fired up. Well, it's just, you get up and you slap a comedian, and it reminds me of uh, that Mark Twain quote, irreverence is the champion of liberty, if not its only defender. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, but he's too much of a baby to take it. Again, no, like, like I, I would do math class or I would, I had, oh my God, Mrs. Lynch in English. Oh my God, she was the hardest teacher I've ever had. I've never, I've only had one teacher harder than her in grad school in my whole career. I was thinking about it. I had like a hundred teachers in my life uh, from elementary school and, and uh, you know, God bless the teachers, but, but they would tell me, no, this is wrong. Go back, that's the wrong answer. No, that's a noun, not an adjective. Go back and work on it again. No, that's a verb, not a noun. Go back, work on it again. No, it's four, not five. Go back and work on it again. 
Well, you could do math and just play with Play-Doh. You can run in the woods and catch a rabbit. Oh, but have foam, you know, have foam gloves, felt gloves when you're dealing with the privileged child. Ugh, all these people are entitled, retarded. And they'd fill them up with all this bizarro religion of virus is, is jealous at Hermes and all this bullshit. And they're just stupid, schizophrenic weirdos. Well, it's just you don't have any real life experiences. Very similar to uh, people who become police in New Zealand. You know, they're fresh out of high school, <laughs> haven't haven't been to university, haven't travelled overseas, never do, never done a, a mind altering substance in their life, haven't uh, got any uh, uh, real mentorship under under their wings, haven't learned a trade or anything like that. You come in, they'll believe anything you tell them, and they'll become exactly as crazy and violent as you want them to be because they literally don't have the upbringing uh, that would enable them to do anything other than that. And I think this is a, a significant uh, problem here, because we, we look at, for example, way back in the day when the concept of eugenics first came about, I uh, believe a number of these very powerful families who were behind the eugenics movement swore that they would never interbreed with any other families except each other. And then, of course, within a few generations, a lot of their children were born very, very deformed and retarded. Now, what we have here is a form of watered down retardation, all right, ostensibly. You have all of these people breeding with each other in the back rooms and, and, and things of this nature, and all of their children don't come from varied wide stock. It's all, it's all uh, kept in this uh, uh, sort of thing. They're obsessed. Uh, with breeding. This is what Alan Watt told me before he passed. And the thing that we need to understand is that if we're being numbered by these people and the billions of unthinking, unbegun people out there are just taking this on and looking at these people as their examples to live through life, they get a, a further watered down version of this. You ever wonder why you're walking around and you think that everybody's freaking retarded? Did it ever occur to you? It's because they are. Do you think we're being controlled? I was watching some interviews recently. Uh, I almost had this lady on my podcast, Karen Hudis. She was like a World Bank whistleblower. And she said that we're being run in the back room of all these World Banking organizations. There's Homo Copithis, which is like a cone head, but it's like, you know how Lord Rothschild has this like bulbous head, like an elongated skull, like Mr. Burns in The Simpsons. But do you think, do you buy into that kind of thinking? That, that we're being pawned off by these people, these creeps that are using us as chess pieces? Um, well, I kind of think of it like this. Uh, what did uh, Henry Kissinger said? He said, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. All right. Now, think about this. Imagine you got more power than God. All right. And you're a psychopath. You don't have to sleep. And you've got a huge sex drive. How many women do you think you could impregnate? Uh, on a daily basis, quite a significant amount, right? And so that means you'd have shockingly large amounts of illegitimate children out there that for some reason, oh, I don't know why I got this job. I don't know why this car a car was suddenly uh, uh, given to me. I don't know why, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And before you know it, you, do, you don't realize this, but unless you check both lines of the genealogy, traditionally, we only check the fathers. A 14-year-old girl did a genealogy check on the presidents of the United States for, for a high school project, and she found 
through both bloodlines of the mothers and the fathers, tracing them back, every single president from George Washington to today is related by blood, first cousin at least. Rigged voting, that's ridiculous. These presidents pull themselves up by their bootstraps of their genes or something. I don't know. Yeah. And, and how did they get into skull and bones? How did they get into uh, Freemasonry? How did they get their Shriner degree? You know, and, and, and so on and so forth. This isn't uh, by accident. And, and this is why uh, uh, activists here in New Zealand uh, has these two famous questions, you know, uh, who is your daddy and where did you go to school? All right. You, you know, uh, from uh, the father's uh, bloodline genealogy and stuff like that, uh, what uh, kind of uh, stuff that you could be potentially involved with. Um, and these things are very deep. And because people don't know about their families or their personal situations and, and things of that nature on these uh, higher levels that are broadcasted billions of people, like on the Oscars, for instance, you don't know that these people are all related or all part of the fa- same family. Why do you think they don't get along so well? <laughs> And I was just like, uh, we're watching this uh, uh, this uh, news coverage over this, and everybody's making this big thing about this Will and Chris Rock and, and what have you. And you know, I was I was, I was, I was sitting there, and and uh, Rebecca was watching this uh, uh, stuff, and I'm and I'm kind of like thinking to myself, you know. I'm trying to focus on trying to stop the human race from getting exterminated by ruthless criminal sociopathic scumbaggery. How much time am I prepared to spend? on this particular story. I, I really don't think I actually have all that much. Uh, well, you know, it's just, it, you know? It, it just tickled me because I'm a comedian and I have all these gigs booked and I'm just wondering if the crowd is going to feel emboldened to slap me. You know, I, I, I go to boxing every day, but, I, you know, it's a hazard of the job. Plus, I know from the inside of being a comedian that Chris Rock, he literally bangs it out at the comedy cellar every night. He goes to the, he like tours. He's like a real comic who's like actively tours, you know? Mm. So I just wonder like, he's a man of people. And then everyone who's a friend of a friend who meets him say, he's very nice to all the up and comers. That's what I care about. And so like, he's a real guy, you know, he's a real comic, a real guy. So like, if I get to the top of my profession, then that's there, there is sort of a ladder here. And and I don't, I mean, you have a look at where, um, yeah. Uh, Chris Rock came from, you know, he yeah. came from an extremely poor family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and his dad, you know, worked three jobs to try and uh, keep them fed and stuff and stuff like that. And, and it was a very t- quite a, a difficult upbringing. And this is generally what happens to comedians. Um, and I got to tell you, I'm not sure there's a, there's a hell of a lot of incredibly like you know make you cry laughing comedians out there who are borderline retarded black nobility members who've never seen a day of uh, uh, suffering in the real world. They've experienced suffering, all right, you know, abuse, neglect, violence. Uh, that that kind of thing, uh, cult indoctrination and tactics, gaslighting. These people experience this all the time, so they can't really love. But when you're a comedian, you are loved when you when you're growing up. But you still experience all those abusive things, and then your sense of humor is what you use in order to make sense of the world. So similar to what um, Dr. Bill Deagle, former. Uh, uh, contract uh, doctor, uh, medical doctor for the NSA told me uh, when I was on his show, he said that uh, the two most intelligent people in terms of profession are theoretical physicists and comedians. 
And I said to him, it's probably for the same reason. We both take large, complex, seemingly contradictory sets of data and are able to simplify it down to a basic formula that's so crazily simple that it makes you laugh. Mm. That's why I love screenwriting too. I got my degree in screenwriting. I just love it because I, I wrote a whole script about the skull and bones, how the purpose of the skull and bones and the, uh, is to feed the NSA and the purpose of the NSA is to get dick pic blackmail on senators to keep them in line with the agenda. But it's like, you take, you think this is all conspiracy. It's all ridiculous. Oh, what are these shadowy institutions? And my script is like, no, they're just creepy weirdos. They're just perverted, creepy weirdos. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple behind the veil. It's not like, but anyway, I, I was being processed into jail. By the way, let me, I'll shed a little light on this, right? So I moved out here. My roommate was doing drugs all the time. I got between him and a ride to meth. He wanted to go drive to get meth, and I got between him. And he called the cops on me, literally called the cops. Now, this piece of garbage hadn't worked. He worked. So we signed a year lease. He worked like 10 days. I was busting my ass six days a week working. And uh, he called the cops on me, having not worked, right? These two cops show up, whatever, they take me to jail because I had, I locked them outside our apartment for 90 seconds and he said I roughed them up. I locked them outside the apartment for 90 seconds, still play anyway, uh, to warn somebody that the ride was going to be a meth ride and not just a beer run like he had. Okay, so this is the whole case, right? So I locked them outside, I opened the door, he's like, I called the cops. Anyway, two cops took me to jail. As of being processed, I like was interviewed by like a dozen cops, working person, working person, working person. Then this working person gave me an orange jumpsuit. Then another working person told me to point, point it up there. Then another working person like did a shift change. Then another work, I go, this non-working loser called the cops and then besets me on 40 working people. You see what I'm saying? So I understand like we get into like the state cult, the government's all awful, but those people all showed up to work every day. And I'll never forget that. This, this, he never worked got a drug addict calls and then activates all these working people. Right. So you say like the, we talk about the state cult, you know, my mom was also a social worker and some of the shit she was telling me was so awful. Like, you know, crackhead parents pimping out their kids for drugs, like awful stuff, awful, awful stuff, you know? And so it's like, you know, and then I see all this stuff that, Oh, the child protective services is all awful. No, it's not. There's aspects of it that are awful and, and creepy weirdos that get in the wrong positions, but it is a functioning aspect, right? So at the end of the day, the state does decide, you know, on certain terms, they triage the population. Oh, we're going to give student loans to this doctor so that he can work in this hospital. Oh, we're going to give student loans to this person. But then they, then on top of that, sometimes it, there's a, an aspect of government, a light side that tries to provide a meritocracy. But then there's a dark side that throws an operation like COVID over the whole medical system, you know? By the way, I'm kind of a COVID refugee. I did, I was talking about the non-blinker usage of Texas. I do appreciate them going, wear a mask or don't, get a jab or don't. But you're not gonna come on the government. Some people invite the coronavirus in their house, get, get a jab, they get a jab, they, they give it supper. Not me, I close the door. Not enough people are shooting this China virus on their lawn. But anyway, there's their rugged individualism. I don't know what it is about Texas, but the laws I appreciate for this operation, they didn't take this operation from the federal government seriously. Neither did Florida. And those are the only two states really that push back uh, aggressively. So uh, 
where am I going with this? It's like, there's a light side to the state cult, you know, children's hospitals, you know, maybe they do a lot of brain surgeries pro bono, but then there's a dark side, you know, Shriners hospitals that kidnap two out of 10. I don't know what I'm saying, but you see what I'm getting at? It's like, it's not always all bad. And if we don't champion the good people working in, in bad institutions, then it's all going to fall apart. Like the bridge builders I was talking about before, Will Smith's kids will never fix a bridge because they're stupid because they had Montessori schools their whole life, you know, but we need people that it's, actually, uh, I want he, kids going to a structural architecture in school. That, that's not all evil. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say there. It said that he who tells the stories rules the world. That's, that's a quote from Plato. Um, and uh, we've got a comment in here from uh, T42 on the on the D live stream. She says, throughout history, the only way dictators get away with the, what they do is if the police and army go along with it. Um, and this is absolutely true. And the only way you can get the police and army to go along with your plan is if you pay them. They're not warriors. They're mercenaries. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, you go to any cop and stuff like that. Do you like being a cop? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it. Would you do it for free and put yourself in harm's way and like work eight hours a day and like go around here and be bored and do all this annoying paperwork for absolutely no money and still have to get another job and, and stuff like that in order to provide for yourself and, and, and your family, you know, and then be like, no, nah, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. Okay. You, you're not a warrior. You know, you're not doing it because you really want to, uh, and you're not willing to put yourself in, in harm's way uh, for the sake of good. You're doing it for a paycheck. All right. You're a bad person. All right. If, yeah, if you hurt, if you hurt and suppress and lie and and cheat and steal, as all cops do, as it's part of their job, uh, you are a bad person and you are making the world a worse place. And while you continue to uh, sit in those institutions, while you consider to uh, uh, sit in those uniforms and not blow the whistle on what those institutions truly are like and who the bad eggs are and point fingers and things of that nature and get yourself fired or maybe killed. You know, that kind of thing. You can't redeem yourself. And I'm very honest about my own profession, the comics that are bad. Like I used to, oh my God. And I still think that Borat is one of the funniest movies I ever saw, but it's undeniable. It came out recently that the CIA, that was, that was the CIA funded that. And some of the bits were just to make fun of Southerners or to make fun of, like it was sort of targeted. The targets they picked, were targeted by the CIA to culturally destroy people or to get them off track with, with good living or whatever the operation was. It's undeniable. It came out. There's all these papers about it. And Bob Saget, by the way, when he died, I was a little grieving. There was a movie called The Aristocrats that came out in 2003. He was hilarious in that movie. My friend Charlie Robinson's like, oh, he's on Epstein's flight log. Okay, there you go. There you go. So I can't I can't worship that guy anymore. Yeah, you know, I can't worship worship Sasha Well, Barton the if I may, the the, yeah. the deeper realization here is that you really shouldn't worship any man or woman. All right. I I mean, like me, for example, I've got flaws, very big ones, and I'm an asshole. All right. It just straight up. And I take responsibility for that. And I understand uh, uh, the darker side of myself and I try to, uh, uh, you know, keep it caged up uh, uh, for the most part. And generally I, I don't uh, uh, tell that to my audience and, and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, 
if somebody like put me up as their idol and they thought I was perfect and a great man and, and so on and so forth, and then they see who I really am, they might think to themselves, man, what the hell is the point of being a great person or working on yourself or anything like that, right? So same thing happened to me when uh, my producer turned out to be Alex Jones's former producer, where my uh, mentor into radio turned out to be Alex Jones's uh, former sit-in host. And uh, Alex Jones was one of my main inspirations. And then when you start uh, hearing about behind the scenes and, and stuff like that and what people are like when the cameras and the and the microphones off uh, you kind of get shocked and you sort of get a little bit disillusioned uh, but then after a while you do come to that acceptance that uh, okay this is basically what's happening in society with all the people who are doing good they've experienced some kind of trauma they can't deal with it and they can't deal with what it's turned them into the monstrous entity that they truly are So they start up some kind of thing that makes them look really good, allows them to do a lot of good to convince them that they aren't the monster that they truly believe they are. Well, Bill Gates, he went out, he flew on Epstein's plane for philanthropy. He was, it was just a philanthropy thing. Well, well, pit of philanthropy, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, uh, Maybe worship is the wrong term with Sasha Barakon. Maybe you just mentor. I'm looking for a mentor of like, who, who do I follow my career at? But now it's Ricky Gervais. I'm pretty sure he's a good one. I like, like, what do I want to do with my career? I think I want to do what he's doing. I need kind of a business model to follow. You see what I'm saying? Of like, um, but yeah. Um, yeah, the well, whole- there's this old saying in Hollywood is fake it till you make it. And uh, my my philosophy is uh, a little bit different to it. It's more like find who you want to be more like, help them in some way, start a relationship with them in, in some form and learn from them by helping them. All right. There's a lot of people out there who uh, don't know exactly what they're doing with their life, but they've got great ideas for you who are already doing what you're doing and so, and so on and so forth. So this is no, this isn't how, how you do it. Have you gotten your own ducks in a row? Have you, have you gotten yourself together? No. Then look at somebody who has gotten themselves together, give them a hand with whatever it is that they're doing, and you will learn how they've gotten themselves together and vicariously how to get yourself together. That's oh what mentorship God. is. My uh, my mom gives me a lot of notes about Klaus Schwab Jr. By the way, I'm not I'm not Klaus Schwab Jr. People think that I am. I'm not, but my mom hates Klaus Schwab Jr. Let me tell you, give, give me notes about uh, Klaus Schwab Jr. constantly, and I'm like, oh, when, when's the last? What's your what's your next stand up gig, mom? Anyway, but um, it's so funny. I was uh, at Ricky Lord's boxing gym the other day, and I was uh, installing another heavy bag. I was I was got a ladder, and I was had my friend Bowser hold the ladder, and I climbed up this ladder. I'm I'm screwing in the nuts and bolts to to hang this heavy bag, and we had a really heavy chain, and I put the heavy chain, and I'm picking it up, and I'm lifting it up, and then I'm I'm bolting all the bolts in. I'm doing this. It's kind of dangerous, and I'm I'm one. I'm worried that the the chain, this hundred pound chain, is going to fall and hit somebody. I'm I'm like trying to make sure that we have like a redundant structure to keep this up. And then I just started laughing because it's like these are all real dangers. These are all. I fell off a deck uh, last Super Bowl. I knocked myself out. So when I'm doing, uh, you know, when I'm climbing a ladder, I'm on my P's and Q's these days. You know, Uh, when I'm sparring, I have headgear on. I'm very safety conscious, but um. It just reminds me of the the invisible enemy that this COVID-19 operation has been. 
It's like they've offended, got this- right? It's huh? the, this this word offended. I was telling uh, I was at a, a festival uh, uh, last weekend. Uh, telling some jokes and, and and stuff like that, and one of them uh, 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 kind of like didn't land very well, you know. And uh, uh, one person said, "I'm offended. I don't want to hear any more jokes from you," even though I'd, I'd, I'd told like about seventy, and one offended them, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of like I'm offended, therefore uh, uh, X Y Z. It was just like uh, Steve Hughes was uh, uh, talking about this. It's like, so what if you're offended? Being offended is completely subjective, and I think what's happening now is that people are thinking that reality. What's inside your head as opposed to realities out there and then what's inside your head is what you make up what you believe you know that kind of thing they're trying to get it all distorted so that you can't tell the truth all right after you can't speak the truth then you'll stop wanting to think about it and then eventually you won't be able to think at all that's what the censorship of free speech leads to the inability to think honestly with yourself or about anything and being offended is a subjective uh invisible enemy and COVID-19 is a subjective invisible enemy so when you put a lie on a lie on a lie oh I'm triggered I was I was arguing with these people on Facebook I just stopped they're all useless people they were like defending they're like that's ethical non-monogamy that he's defending of shut up it's just like no he lost his cool anyway but because they're offended so you're if you're offended emotionally then you can hurt then you can slap somebody it's that's an invisible enemy in your own head that you make to a physical assault altercation. Like, you know what I mean? So that's a phys- uh, COVID-19 is an invisible fake enemy that you actually jab and injure yourself with. You see what I'm saying? So the controllers know this and they have to be, uh, I don't know, I'll box them any day. If Clash Schwab wants to fly to Ricky Lord's boxing gym, I'll box them any day, you know? Um, that's real. I want to step into my uh, territory. <laughs> Well, let's think about this. Uh, what are we best at? You know, um, and generally speaking, as comedians, we're uh, we're best at looking at situations that everybody sees every day, and instead of being necessarily only irritated by it, we're also capable of drawing inspiration from it. That's why they call it making light. Yeah. Uh, and, but I realized about myself, like sometimes I've gone out and done stand up, like in the middle of a breakup or this girl cheats on me and I go out, I'm so depressed. I just bum out the audience. Sometimes it works, but more than if I'm miserable or like spiritually, it doesn't work. And so I realized like with this COVID-19 agenda that was just getting me so depressed and Alex Jones was scaring the hell out of me. I was watching, I watched 30 minutes of Alex Jones. I was, I was, it put me into a panic attack, honestly. Um, and then going to the boxing gym every day, it's like, if I don't do that, I can't perform. If I'm not, if I don't, because then I'm not happy if I'm not, um, you know, holding pads for kids and, you know, that I've, I'm like the janitor over there. I vacuum the place up, but I love it. I love hanging out there and contributing. And then I feel like, oh, okay, I'm contributing. I feel good about myself. All right, let's go tell these weird dick jokes. Like, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, you got to. And by the way, I also want to shout out my aunt Colleen because she uh, she taught me how to cook and live in cheap and living off the grid. I like, dude, I, I don't spend a dime. I cook my own meals, even if I have a road gig, like I'm going to play the Blind Tiger uh, uh, April 1st this Friday. I'll be at the Blind Tiger in San Antonio at 10 p.m. 
And I'm going to cook my meal at my fucking house and bring it over there because my aunt Colleen brainwashed me and I had to be frugal. And that's the only way I can survive as an artist and look myself in the mirror all the time, you know? I think it's, um, you drive yourself crazy if you don't uh, bring your ideas out. And that's why the, uh, you know, the partners of comedians can often be driven nuts because the jokes just come out all the, all the time and, and they're not the refined kind yet. You know, they're, they're, they're just sort of like that. The, the girls get the B material before, before you come to the, uh, the good stuff that's, that's good enough for the audience. So they, they you know, the, the wives and, and partners of comedians suffer a lot, you know, just, I mean, the, honey, those jokes are just awful. You know, um, you know they 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 get offended and stuff like that. And 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 Steve Hughes was talking about this. How sometimes he comes up with jokes that even offend himself. And he's like, "Jesus, I've offended myself." <laughs> <laughs> it's just like this is what uh, the the gig is. Find out the line. All right, this is the line that you're not supposed to cross, and cross it deliberately. All right. Again, irreverence is the champion of liberty, if not its only defender. Uh, that Mark Twain quote is giving me goose pimples. Are you, so you're doing like comedy gigs, you're going to clubs and doing like gigs or are you kind of mixing it into your activism? How, how would you define yourself? Well, the thing is, I've never actually been going out trying to be too serious and, and, and things like that. Not, not, not until I figured it out, because I've always wanted to have a good time. I've always wanted to have a laugh and, and uh, a party and have deep conversations and, and things like that. And I just sort of uh, bring it to this gig, really. You know, that's sort of why they gave it to me, because after you listen to a, a couple of hours of the, the Vinnie Eastwood show, instead of being stressed and, and, and uh, uh, upset and, and kind of like worried and, and things like that, you're like, relaxed and yeah. you're smiling and and you can and you can go to bed after that in fact one one guy who started up a show because he said that i inspired him to start a show he used to listen to my uh, uh broadcast before going to sleep specifically because it put him in a good headspace so that he could actually go to bed because he's a very traumatized guy um, so what I'm contributing to the truth movement is very, very different to what other people are doing. I'm, I'm blending comedy and fun, uh, along with a lot of emotion and empathy and wisdom and, uh, uh activism, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a, a unique combination of extracts that, uh, ostensibly, uh, produce a, a very healing resonant field. Um, I agree. You know, I used to uh, be in Los Angeles. Uh, this was uh, 2009 to 2014. And then again, um, 2017 to 18. And the vibe on the ground in the comics there were very like workaholics, zero work-life balance. My friend, there's this guy called Quincy Jones, not the music producer, but a comic called Quincy Jones. He did a thousand open mics in a year, twice. That's like three a day. He would take a day off, the next day do seven. Then he had got cancer. And I literally believe that he fragged out his system because he didn't care about eating, drinking water. You know, he smoked cigarettes, you know, whatever. You know, he gave himself cancer doing that. And also I used to be in, I, and I have done the whole going out five nights a week thing. But then after I uh, put my specials out, now I just like, I prepare, now I just spend time at home and, and, you know, uh, there's different outlets. Uh, so I, I've been writing a, a book, but I've also, you know, I, I'm an intern on Klaus Schwab Jr.'s Instagram. 
there's like other ways to put comedy content out there. You know, I run my own podcast, the Highway Diary podcast, if you haven't noticed. Um, We're simulcasting that today. But I used to just be like, there's only one way and it's go do comedy until you uh, destroy your body. And now I'm like, well, maybe I should be happy. I should be well fed. I should have good nutrition. I should have a a healthy soul. I should uh, never screw over my friends. I should have my bills paid. Then I should pick my spots and rehearse like at my house. And, um, you know, I have a, a, if I may, if I may, um, I I won the senior speech competition when I was 15 uh, going up against 18 year olds. The way I did it wasn't necessarily because I was better. Wasn't because I was the best writer. I was. Wasn't the reason why I was able to deliver the speech uh, the best because I rehearsed it endlessly with the aid of a dictaphone. You record your set perfectly onto the onto the thing, yeah. onto a recording device. Yeah. You play it back and then you try to fill in the words with your voice until eventually you don't need it anymore because it's a recording in your head. And then you just go and you just let it, let it go out. But that takes a lot of repetition, a lot of rehearsal time um, and a lot of real work. Um, and that's that's how the best shows, I, I think, are, are really done because it is not something that just happens on stage. While that stuff's really good, none, nonetheless, don't, don't say I'm ragging it. Um, is that when somebody is practiced, when somebody is honed, when no, somebody mean, has put in the work, that is when the magic is. I have like seven pages here. I don't want to, so I'll be at the Blind Tiger. These are my jokes, seven pages. And I'm going to do exactly that the next step. I'm going to go through this material, record it on my Zoom recorder and listen to it over and over again. So that when I get on stage, I'm just, it's easy. I'm just, I'm looking like I'm just telling about my life. Everything's rehearsed. You know, Ricky Gervais in an interview said something that really blew my head, uh, my, my mind. And he goes, so I went to the, Hollywood improv and I watched 10 comics all go up and they were all like, they would describe a weird situation and then go, what the fuck? Man, what the fuck? And he goes, he said specifically, none of this matters. (laughs) None of this matters. It doesn't matter what I've just seen. And I was like, wow, I thought you work every day. You get up, you do six shows a day. And he said, if you watch 12 comics, none of it mattered. Like it was like toothless comedy. And it's like, because they were going up for attention. They weren't going up to raise their art, you know? And so that changed the way I work. I go, yeah, I want to raise my art. I don't want to be one of those, those attention dum-dums. Mm. I want to, I want to be, I want to never take advantage of that stage time. I want to earn that shit. Well, I, th- I thought of uh, two, two Ricky Gervais memes, which I thought were uh, particularly poignant. And look, wisdom can come from anywhere. Even, even a liar or a psychopath uh, can give you wisdom. As I say, the desert of lies can yield a grain of truth. And something Ricky said was that if you're worried about what you're doing in life and you don't know what, you, what you're doing, don't worry, because nobody else knows what they're doing anyway. All right. Uh, and he also said, we've got to stop this recent culture of people telling us they're offended by something and expecting us to give a fuck. (laughs) And it's just like, you know, this is where it's at, ladies and gentlemen. Being real and doing stuff that matters, that's the only job you've got. 
And if you are distracted from doing that, you are literally wasting your freaking existence. And I've said before, I'm a big Chris Rocks fan, but the fan he got this, the joke he got slapped at is not a joke worthy of being slapped at. 20 years ago, there was a movie called G.I. Jane, and he calls that to Jada Pickett just because of the ball. It's just a, a not good ball joke. When Gervais hosted the Golden Globes, he goes, oh, I know you all had to take your own plane here. I know Jeffrey Epstein was your friend. Well, you know, I mean, he's he's shooting to kill it. He's shooting to have it where there's never a Golden Globes again. Like he's he's trying to destroy these people. And uh, and if you don't go up there as a comic with that mentality, it doesn't matter. The whole show doesn't matter. But if you poke, if you get up on the biggest stage and the nicest tuxedo and you go through that room and you want to destroy all of their careers and lives, then you've earned your uh, spot at the top. Now, uh, the other day, um, I'm I'm not sure if you can we share screen on this uh, on this thing here. you know, I'm not good at that. I'm not practiced at this. Uh, I believe we can, actually. One okay. Moment, please allow me to uh, uh, see if I can uh, do this for you just before we uh, go here. Uh, where are we? Stop the video. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, I'm That's recording. Uh, you're recording. I can't. Uh, I've got to be enabled to share screen. Uh, well, in, in either case, I've got the uh, the photo here on my phone and can uh, uh, literally put it on uh, camera for us to uh, give you an idea of uh, what I'm talking about. And, and this, is, this is what is um, uh, funny to me, is that uh, things happen all the time. And you, you don't really uh, know that there's a reason for them, or you don't really know if there's a joke in it or, 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 or anything like that. But uh, as, as you'll see uh, right here, as I hold it up to the, the screen, I was trying to avoid news about the Ukraine, and then this turned up in my, in my neighbor's yard. Uh, it's a, gi- a, crane. It's a giant crane. Yeah. <laughs> just like, you can't get away from it. <laughs> the Ukraine, there's a crane in your backyard. You know, I, I mean, I mean it, 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 stranger things have happened. Um, and this is the thing the laughter is around you at all times. You've just got to open your eyes and see it. My, one of my favorite mentors was uh, Catherine Smith from uh, uh, New Zealand Journal of Natural Medicine. She's uh, married to uh, John Eisen from Uncensored Magazine. They've been uh, truthers uh, uh, since way back in this country in terms of actual publishing uh, truth content, hard copy. And she said to me, Vinny, don't take yourself too seriously and don't take what other people have to say about you personally. And that is sage wisdom uh, that I've kept uh, for a long time. And I didn't realize what it actually meant until a few years ago. And it was about 10 years after hearing it. Why not take yourself too seriously? Because you're not as good as you think you are. You're just as flawed as anybody else. And you're working on your own things. And if you take yourself too seriously and you try to make yourself too perfect, you're going to run yourself ragged trying to catch up to the false image of yourself. And why do you not take what other people say about you personally? Because there's too many people in this world with too many opinions. The thing that really matters is what are you doing 
in the real world, what are you doing right now? Because right now is the only time you've got to make a difference. And don't worry about other people's opinions about what you're doing. Don't let them stop you doing it if you know what you're doing is the right thing to do. That's what it means by not taking yourself too seriously or taking what people say about you personally. This frees you from all of those negative, pointless thoughts that go round and round in your head, all those insecurities, all those egotistical little uh, uh, spikes uh, that get our nervous systems going. They are distractions from you creating what does not exist, and that is your purpose. I, uh, when I was in the New Orleans comedy scene, boy, some people hated me. I was like banned from five clubs uh, at the time that I was in grad school in New Orleans. And looking back, it's so obvious to me um, that there was jealous loser syndrome, jealous townie loser syndrome was uh, contributed to that. And uh, I, you know, frankly, I love the University of New Orleans, but some of the other students didn't like me. You know why? Because I always had my homework done and I never made excuses. They always had excuses and their homework wasn't done. So then they projected out. Anyway, um, now I'm very happy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm just I'm worried about the state of the world. I hope that this uh, fake Biden presidency goes away soon and he dip, dips into his hologram. But I don't know. I, you know. I'd love to ask you where you think it's going, but I just so have no idea. Like, will will humanity prevail? Will will uh, there be crimes against humanity charged on Pfizer there's and Johnson an old, Johnson? Or what do you think? There's an old children's story, the tortoise and the hare. And we are the hare, okay? The enemy of humanity, this uh, Fabian socialistic type, uh, methodology has been about the slow creep and the hammer blow. We have woken up in the middle of the race after taking a rest under the tree because we thought it was easy to win. We're a hare, they're a tortoise. They'll never beat us. So we closed our eyes and we took a break. And now we are awakening. And the tortoise is right near the finish line. Yeah. And now we must move faster than we have ever moved, faster than we think is even possible. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. Any little scrap of laziness, apathy, cowardice that is left within you, shed it, get rid of it, and get rid of it for three generations in a row, and do it now. Manifest all the things that you have in your head, all your little ideas into reality, into three universe where they can be seen and smelled and tasted and touched by other people. Only there can they be inspired. This is the point of this, because if you don't manifest your own creations into reality and really spend some time and effort on it so that they're actually good, like they match what you heard or what you saw in your own head you will be resentful of all the people who are already doing it and instead 
of making something, you'll just be criticizing what is, telling them how they should have done it better when you should have been doing your own thing better. You should have been taking personal responsibility for this manifestation process. This is not a widespread realization within the human race at this particular point in time. And until it is, that tortoise going to cross that finish line before us and this will be the end of light the end of love the end of truth you will never see it again the system will be so well entrenched that nobody will ever experience anything decent or good or caring ever again that is what is at stake here do you want to breathe do you want to be able to breathe? The answer is obviously yes. Is somebody's hand around your throat stopping you from breathing? Imagine if it was. Imagine how hard you would fight for that next breath. What you would do to them to get them off you, to stop them. That is how much motivation you need right now at this point in history to awaken yourself, to awaken others, and to build that bright future you hope to see if you want to cross the finish line first come in and you know buy uh, a whisker that's what we got to do the uh, world economic forum is about to install a techno-fascist dictatorship but i uh, i have someone in my ear there's someone called Klaus schwab jr he dropped he's dropping k drops on instagram by the way go to Klaus schwab jr on instagram he's dropping some k drops I- i'm gonna i'm gonna play this one for you Denise Wood, this is what you're, you're speaking about. Uh, and this is Klaus Schwab Jr. once met Mr. Goebbels in Argentina. And uh, this is what he said. My official favorite oligarch, Klaus Schwab Jr. I remember when I was seven years old, I was making a bloodbath with Herr Goebbels. It was okay, it was local blood in Argentina. Paperboys was his favorite. So it was even in the bloodbath, a little bicycle cling out, cling out, cling out. But uh, he was telling me about making propagandas, making the big lie. And when your sheep don't like your big lie, you tell them again. And then if they don't like it, you tell them again and again until your sheep repeat the big lie and love your lies, love your propagandas. But now we have much better tools if you do not like our big lies then we will put them in nanobots if you don't like our big lies. We will change your DNA to like our big lies. We will put the lies in your food, in your app. They are your So that's what we're up against. That's, uh, that's Klaus Schrock Jr. putting the big lie in nanobots, you know? Mm-mm. And uh, Klaus Schwab is, of course, not related to uh, the, uh, the Arabic uh, uh, German man, Anil Schwab, but but uh, there is did i just say but twice without maybe. even thinking about maybe okay just to emphasize the point as it were uh <clears throat> we 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 have to come to the end of the show now and i i do need to take a wiki league and, and just before i do that i'd like to uh from for my audience uh encourage them to uh follow us on 
uh, Telegram and uh, uh, Rumble and uh, BitChute and uh, Odyssey and all of these other uh, platforms and, and, and things of that nature have been deplatformed by YouTube. So uh, there's a lot of people out there who used to listen to the Vinnie Eastwood show, who used to think that I existed, and now that's not the case. So if you could, please, in any means, I don't care who you are or what resources you've got, just in a tiny little way, just say, hey, did you know that Vinny Eastwood still exists? Here's where to find him. I would really appreciate that, guys. Like, really? Because right now I'm like asking for donations and, and things like that. And there's like 12 people that hear it, you know, and, and it's like, oh, dude, that's so, so sad. And uh, what I hope, my, my great hope in life is that all of the work that I've done uh, to try and help other people who nobody else wanted to listen to, nobody else wanted to give a platform to, all the work that I've done to help all them has hopefully uh, put enough credit in the Karma Bank so that when I need help, when my voice can't get out there, I will get uh, exactly uh, what I need to continue. So on that point, please go to the vinnieeastwoodshow.com. That's Vinny with a Y because it's the most important question. And Eastwood, like, go ahead, make my news. And go ahead, ladies and gentlemen, go to the donate page and set up a uh, PayPal automatic payment for $5 a week or uh, more if you can. And you can also do that with uh, Kiwi Bank and become a Patreon of my band, Vinny and the Vendettas, who are doing a lot of real... Uh, uh, fun music and songs for, for a number of years, and you can enjoy that at the uh, on the tab there. I'd like to thank my sponsor. That was actually the person who was calling me before in the middle of the uh, the start of the show is David Holden, my sponsor from HoldenHealthCare.com. Emphasis on the care. He's got uh, over 100 years experience himself and his team combined uh, in treating hard-to-treat cases uh, in terms of naturopathic oncology. Uh, so a lot of people go through the mainstream medical ringer and don't find out who you are. They don't find out what you're doing in your life they don't find out the cause of what's actually sickening you and they don't believe that the body has the ability to heal itself anyway that's why you should go to holdenhealthcare.com the medical disclaimers are on the website of course and uh, finally um uh, the Vinnie Eastwood show does not uh, encourage the breaching of COVID-19 rules because I'll go to jail and, and do not pass go, do not collect $200 from my bail conditions if I, if I, if I do. Uh, Reopen.nz is also sponsoring uh, uh, my show as well as a uh, directory of anti-mandate, pro-choice, all-inclusive businesses in New Zealand. A lot of people uh, 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 signed up there to uh, put their businesses uh, up to be counted and just want to reopen uh, this country again. So yeah, that's, uh, that's it uh, from me, Eric, and any final words? I got some uh, stand-up dates coming up Friday, April 1st, uh, 10 p.m. I'll be at the Magic Time Machine basement. Uh, the basement is the Blind Tiger Comedy Club in San Antonio, Texas. I'm opening. Klaus is going to be there, too. Klaus Jr. is going to be there opening for Ariel Isaac Norman, who's uh, super funny and a good friend of mine. Um, Thursday, April 7, 8.30 p.m. I'll be at Travis County Court, uh, fourth floor, District 6. Uh, I'd appreciate your support. Um, Klaus Schwab Jr., I'm going to drive him all the way to Corpus Christi. Uh, he's opening for Sam Tripley and Eddie Bravo on a tinfoil hat podcast. There's an 8 p.m. and a 10 p.m. show. Uh, tickets are available uh, on aircollarbach.com. It's an Eventbrite link. Also, Sunday, uh, April 24th, I'll be in um, the secret group in Houston, Texas, with my best friend Kyle Smith. Uh, again, uh, tickets are available 
via aircollarbach.com. My sponsor is ACBD Remedy. Go to acbdremedy.com. Use promo code ERIC, that's E-R-I-C, for 20% off your order. What a pleasure oh. to know you, Vinny Eastwood. You're a great guy. You're one of the good ones. I always have thank fun talking to you. Thank you, brother. I get that a lot. And thank you very much, ladies, gentlemen, slaves of the global plantation. The Vinnie Eastwood show is bad news. It's like the news, but worse. It's the lighter side of genocide. Just because we're being exterminated doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Otherwise, what's the point of being killed? The Vinnie Eastwood Show, where the only thing worse than living in a high-tech global police state run by child-trafficking Satanists is Vinnie's jokes. All right, I'm going to stop recording.